Hello and welcome back to the Middlemen podcast. Football didn't come home and it looks like Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury is pushed back even further. It's me, Noah Abrahams and Max Taylor as always. And Max, I think the only place to start is with the Euros and that final and England's heartbreak, losing on penalties. You, you can't make it up. Classic England, get to a penalty shootout. It's the fact that we got to the penalty shootout, that we were leading on penalties, that we were leading in the game. Everything was so perfect. When Jordan Pickford uh, made the save, it was destined. It was in the stars and somehow uh, we blew it. And obviously it wasn't just, it, it wasn't just the penalty shootout. I, I have criticism, criticisms from the game itself, but also so much praise for these boys. So proud uh, of these boys and what they've done. They've made history. Uh, what did you make of it? You watched it in Wales as well, so that must have been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been as interesting as uh, being in the pub with all of, uh, all, of, all of the proud English geezers, you know, and uh, probably celebrating for most of the game before, obviously, Italy crushed our hearts. And uh, yeah, I guess we opened on a bit of sad news, really. We got it, the football went Rome and Joshua Fury gets pushed back. But hey, as, as you said, there's also positives to take away from it. Um, the, the young lads made history. Uh, made us proud. I don't know about other people, but I'm certainly proud of them. Um, and I felt, you know, even more proud to kind of fly the English flag high in Wales uh, when I was watching the game. So, yeah, that you know, I'm I'm critical as well of uh, you can you can always question the game, but when it's all said and done, obviously, you know, we lost it. I guess you could say fair and square. And um, look, we got a young team, and and we'll go again, especially next year in the World Cup. Yeah, I think that's the big positive. They are so young and maybe apart from Jordan Henderson and a couple of others, pretty much everyone in that team has at least another two tournaments in them. So that is the massive positive. And we've made that piece of history now. We've surpassed our goals and who knows what's going to happen in Qatar. I think, though, sometimes you have got to actually just pick out the negatives from a performance. Uh, And it wasn't just the penalties. Like I said, I think it was the substitutions. 110 minutes to bring on Jack Grealish. It's scandalous as well, by the way, that a player should come on and their first touch of the ball should be a penalty. Um, And uh, we can start with the penalties because it was a massive part. The three penalty takers that missed, Sancho, Saka and Rashford, ahead of of Jack Grealish and Raheem Sterling. And I would even say Jordan Pickford. I think he's an excellent penalty taker. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, And... Look, at the end of the day, if you if you miss three penalties, then you're going to lose a shootout. I didn't like the way uh, Rashford stuttered. I know it's a bit harsh, but there there are so many little things. I felt really bad for Jordan Pickford as well, by the way. I thought he was just sublime, absolutely magnificent throughout the game. And um, like I said, should have taken a penalty. But what did you make of the shootout, the order uh, of the players? And I know Greedish said he wanted to, but didn't get the chance. And I think Southgate would have given him the the chance but I think Saka also just really wanted to take a penalty yeah I think obviously that is that was the main criticism and that's what everybody was questioning um as soon as it as soon as we lost the game was why is uh Saka you know one of our youngest players in the team stepping up to to take that fifth penalty but you look at what manager we have in Gareth Southgate and the playing career that he had and you know the the famous moments he had in his career e.g. missing his own penalty in the was in the 1996 year so I think he he looked to Saka who's been a fantastic player for us a really brave really courageous player already and I think he saw that and wanted 
to translate that uh, into him taking a penalty and, you know, almost possibly being the uh, the man to win us the game. Obviously, I know that penalty wouldn't have won us the game, but it might have led us on to do so. So I think he, he saw Saka and thought, you know, I was a young kid like that once and it didn't go to plan for me. So I want to give him this opportunity and, and make it go to plan for him. Um, obviously, I, I don't know if he regretted that decision after he, he must have because... Saka missed, but there's the, obviously nothing against that young lad. You know, as yeah. I said, he's had a fantastic tournament. Um, and I, I saw a great post on uh, on social media. It said uh, Saka's uh, stepping up to take the penalty for his team in a in a Euros finals at 19. Yeah, I'm too scared at 19 to ask for ketchup behind the McDonald's. <laughs> it's, it's it's true and it's brilliant. Uh, I felt a bit attacked by that because that was spot on. That that uh, spoke levels to me for sure. Yeah, every time I see these young guys and I'm just sitting there watching it with a beer in my hand, you do kind of question life a little bit. Uh, Saka was magnificent throughout this t- throughout the tournament and I was very shocked that he didn't start. I think he's he was probably England's best player, maybe aside from Raheem Sterling. I thought the setup was very negative, five at the back, and I, I thought scoring a goal within the first two minutes, it's, it's the worst possible outcome because... You simply cannot try and defend and sit back on a 1-0 lead for 88 minutes of a game. And it it didn't work. Italy piled on the pressure and piled on the pressure. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we couldn't hold them off. And it went the distance and we couldn't do it on penalties. I think for me, I just feel like we'll never have a better chance again. The route to the final, like in 2018, was so perfect. We were leading on penalties and in the game. And also it was on home soil. It was essentially a home tournament. And we'll talk about the negatives of it being a home tournament in a minute. But for me, I was just, I was, I was upset more than anything, disappointed. And uh, I'm proud of the boys, like I've said a few times already, because I, I really am and taking nothing away from them, what they've achieved. But to get that far and to not quite take it home, it, it does hit hard. Yeah, and it hits even harder because it wasn't like we got to the final and got absolutely blew out of the water by Italy. It was close. Obviously, the penalty shootout speaks to those levels, especially that we were leading. You know, we were so, so close to it, you know, almost there. Um, and it and it just escaped our grasp. And obviously that has been, well, it's sometimes been the, um, been the story of the English team's life for the last 55 years, I guess. But we, we've come close now and there's no point in... I, I know it's easy to say, like, looking at the games that we had in the knockout stages, saying that it was it was an easy road to the final or an easier road to the final. But we just got to have hope that we'll get the same luck in, in the coming games, um, in the coming tournaments, sorry, and just hope that even if, the, you know, we don't get a Ukraine that we can spank 4-0 in the quarters, <laughs> that whatever team we get, we can just go through them. And that's that's the courage. The team, I know the team definitely has, and that's what the fans need to uh think and I think get behind them and, and support them in every every single game that they play from here on out yeah maybe when I used you know easy route to the final maybe that's not the correct terminology because we did have to beat Germany who I know they're an aging side but they're still a fantastic outfit Denmark the hunger the desire everything behind them because of the Christian Eriksen incident at the start of the tournament and Croatia as well who we couldn't beat in the semi-final of the uh, in the semi-final of the World Cup in 2018. So you know, we did have to beat good opposition, uh, but I would still stand by the fact that it wasn't the hardest of routes. I think we were held massively by the home crowd, and let's talk about the disadvantages of of playing at Wembley for a final. First off, I do not, and I really do not understand why the kickoff was at eight o'clock. 
for me, it makes absolutely no sense. All it does is give fans the opportunity to drink for 10, 11 hours, starting at 7, 8 in the morning, drinking throughout the whole day and it progressively getting worse. If you kick off the game at 4 o'clock, you minimise that, that period before the game for these drunk hooligans to be running rampage around central London and obviously on Wembley Way. So that, for me, was mind-blowing that the game was played so late. And when, when I realised the game was going to be play, played at 8 o'clock, my first thought was, OK, we're going to have trouble. And the state of Wembley Way was appalling. Uh, the World Cup bid surely now is in tatters after some disgraceful England fans. And, I, and it's sad because obviously we're not all like that. But I was in Watford watching the game and there was even trouble in Watford. There was a fight that broke out in Watford between police and uh, some Italian fans and some English fans. And a girl had a bottle chucked at, chucked at her head. Um, Lando Norris had his watch stolen, was was mugged. The state of London was just, it was like a war zone. So, so many so many kind of things from that game that just don't sit well with me. And I think England fans, I mean, breaking into Wembley, Harry Maguire's dad getting hurt. Um, Roberto Mancini's son, Andrea, had to sit on the steps because his allocated seat had been, had been taken. Uh, allegations of fans snorting coke inside the ground. The Daily Mail football correspondent, Dominic King, said it was like a war zone. It was like walking over a rubbish dump at Wembley. So disappointing, Max. Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? And, you know, uh, English fans and the English team are going to want absolutely nothing to do with these people who like to call themselves fans and who think they support England. They're going to want absolutely nothing to do with that because that's not what, you know, us true proper English fans want the the look to be about us, you know? Because obviously being in Wales gives me a lot of perspective. I see how the Welsh... Now, now view the team and now view the fan base. Of course, you know, being rivals, they they never have a take a liking to us. But they they you know, I saw a lot of them talking and saying about how respectful they were to their opposition in uh, the last in the 2016 Euros against Belgium. They clapped their men off the field. You know, it was nothing like that. It was all very respectful. And you know, it, it didn't really sit well with me them trying to take the uh, moral high ground. But I can understand what they're saying because you know I, I can't argue against that. As you said, you said many examples there. When we're doing things like that, how, how can you um, expect other fans to have a certain respect for you? There, there's, there's no having it. We need to get rid of these, these people, these absolute hooligans who just kind of use um, football as, as an outing to kind of let themselves run wild. You know, they're not fans. They just want an excuse to be chaotic. And there needs to be, I don't know how we can clamp down harder on it, but there needs to be some level of doing it because the further they get out of the game and as, uh, as far from England as possible in terms of the football team, then the better. And it's no reflection on the team themselves. They left actually out of the two dressing rooms. The Italian dressing room was a complete tip. It really was. The England dressing room was left as you would expect in true Gareth Southgate style, uh, respectfully, it was left respectfully. Um, yeah, for me, I, just watching everything that happened, my great uncle was at the game. He said that, and he, he's broken his foot. He went to the disabled entrance and uh, he said that as soon as they opened the door, the, just, the kind of disabled door to get in, fans were just rampaging themselves, trying to get in through this disabled entrance. 
And the amount of stories that I've heard, it's 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 quite unbelievable. The lack of policing and steward, like like you said. And to be honest, I don't expect stewards to be risking their lives, putting their lives on the line. And there was a journalist that said this could easily be another Hillsborough because the amount of fans that got into the game uh, that didn't have a ticket. So many different aspects and elements. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's really not a good look for, for English football. And obviously, the worst of the lot was the disgusting and despicable racism uh, that was thrown towards uh, Saka, Sancho and uh, Rashford. And you know what? You miss... One, I would never have the bottle to go up and take a penalty in front in front of seventy or thousand fans. Uh, I don't think I don't think anyone would. I really, really don't. The, these guys are exceptional for just stepping up to take the penalty, and also they're human beings and they're footballers. And no one, no one doesn't matter what job you're in. Doesn't matter if you're a footballer or if you're a steward or whoever you are. Racism is completely unacceptable, as we all know. And it, it was very upsetting and disappointing, deeply upsetting and disappointing to see the racism they got on social media and Marcus Rashford's mural uh, being destroyed in Manchester. Horrible. Yeah, there's, there's, there's three, three specific things that, well, three kind of vague slash specific things that infuriate me about this, this situation that has been the main talking point all over my social media, which it rightly should, because it should be brought to light and it should have this much coverage because it is absolutely foul. But Number one, the fact that's actually going on, just the, the concept in itself of, uh, you know, our, our players being racially abused after giving us blood, sweat and tears. Uh, number two, the fact that we have to talk about this, in the, we have to talk about racial abuse in the podcast uh, as a different example for, I've, I've run out of times to count. Almost, but it's we, almost on a weekly basis we, we have to talk about racism and and the impacts it's had on on sport there's there's yeah there is literally always at least one story going that we could pick from and three the fact that it's actually happening after we've got to the finals of the euros and as i said our teams put blood sweat and tears for us and absolutely worked our worked their asses off for us and how our whole nation's been united for it to end like that and for the main talking point uh to be racial abuse because that's the main thing that's come from it absolutely infuriates me so I, I as I said I can't believe we're talking about it again especially given the circumstances of how it's come about why is this happening when the team have done have performed so well I, I just can't cannot obviously not justify it but I can't even fathom to think why anyone would would be racist but let alone in this type of situation it just makes absolutely no sense to me I think the saddest thing is Saka came out today and he said that the minute he missed that penalty, the second he missed it, he knew what would come his way. And that is the saddest thing. And unfortunately, you know what? When he missed that penalty, that was one of the first things I thought. I thought, oh my God, here we go. Three, the three guys that have missed those penalties are going to get just terrible abuse thrown their way. And unfortunately, that's what happened. And it's just... <laughs> It's upsetting that you can predict that um, and it, it's terrible and there's no place for it in sport. There's no, there's no place for it in society. So that was deeply upsetting and it took, it took the magic away from even losing a final. I still feel like there would have been, it would have been a happy memory looking back. And for me, I went to the barbers after the game a few days after uh, and the barber said to me, you know what? I think a lot of my customers have said, 
if we lost, it wouldn't have been the end of the world because they were scared of, they, they were also scared of what would happen if we won. Everyone going crazy. Like you said, it's an excuse for these hooligans, these thugs to just break the law, just run, run around doing whatever they're doing. And yeah, it's not what we want to see in football. And it's like going back to the 1980s and hopefully it doesn't happen again. And like, I don't think we're going to get the World Cup bid in 2030 after that. We did a PR module on it and there's, there is no way, there is no chance in a million years that we will get the World Cup bid if, if that's taken into account, which I'm sure it will be. Uh, but let's move on to boxing uh, and we'll stay in Britain with Josh Warrington versus Maurizio Lara. The rematch has been announced in Leeds as Headingley Stadium on the 4th of September. Uh, in February, of course, we'll remember Lara ended Warrington's unbeaten record with that Nine round, ninth round stunner, wasn't it? It was a knockout at the Wembley Arena. And if you remember, Lara just ha- landed a heavy knockout down in the fourth and Warrington just never really recovered from that. And Eddie Hearn at the time praised Warrington's bravery, which caused a bit of controversy because I remember saying to you, Max, I just didn't understand at the time why referee Howard Foster didn't stop it there. Uh, Lara's left hook was ridiculous, I seem to recall. Um, I think it was a right to the body and a left to the face that finished Josh off. Mike Costello called it the biggest upset in British boxing in recent years. This time around, though, Warrington hasn't been inactive for 16 months before the fight. He's had time to reflect, time to reassess. The right time for a rematch, Max? Well, I mean, you look at at the way... uh the manner that he got beaten and you question why he's taken up a rematch so quickly. But this is the type of guy and, and this is something that's translated from uh, our football in, into the boxing segment is the the British heart, you know, the British courage. Um, that's that's what Warrington displayed in his last fight, as you said, after getting dropped in the fourth to come back and give it his all when he was really pretty much out on his feet um, and where the fight, as you said, should have been stopped to go another five rounds um, to keep on going, you know, that is that British heart and the courage that we've previously been speaking about with the football team. But I think, yeah, it, it definitely tells you a few things, him taking up the rematch and wanting it straight away. You know, it tells you that he's a, a champion at heart and he's someone who wants to wrong their rights. Stylistically, I, I thought, you know, it's just not a good matchup for him. And uh, I, I've been browsing through Twitter and, and looking at it since since the fight has been announced. And yeah, I think a lot of journalists and a lot of people do think that, you know, Lara just might have his number. But but a lot of people have been saying that about Andrew Rees when Joshua was beaten by him in, in their first fight, completely knocked out, you know, taken aback, absolute shock, upset. And then you saw what Joshua did in the rematch. So if that's to tell you something, the way that Andrew Rees and Joshua kind of rivalry rent, then it leaves you with, absolutely no uh, prediction well it's left me with no prediction on how this rematch is going to go if it's anything like the first and obviously Warrington's going to lose but who who knows because he, he might just be the type of guy and, and we might see we haven't had to see it from him yet because he has been unbeaten but now we might have to see him adapt and take this game plan he's got a lot of time in into September now uh, so he's probably straight away I bet Josh is the type of guy to be studying Lara and, and as I said, really trying to uh, right this wrong. So maybe he comes back in this rematch, adapts and maybe like, you know, shocks us a bit more because I know a lot of people right now are, are thinking that Lara's going to do him again. So I think it's going to be an even bigger shock if Warrington comes back and gets this win. Yeah, he'll have to change his boxing DNA, Josh, because the way Lara fights, he's younger and 
it'll be interesting to see if he's still hungry, Lara, if he's still got his eye on the ball, because Ruiz just completely let the fame and the fortune and the World Championship get to his head. And that's why I think he, he lost to Joshua second time round. Um, but Warrington says he wants revenge. If he does beat Lara, then he can go on and face the WBA secondary champion, Can Chu. He wanted to do that originally anyway. He'll be in front of a 20,000 strong home crowd uh, in Leeds. But I, I just, something's telling me this is a mistake for him. And if he loses, then is it, will it, will it be his last one? Will he retire if he loses? Well, I think there's, as you, you mentioned, Kanju there, obviously he has to get back in the winning column to uh, face that level of opponent. But no, I you know, I think he, he is just a dog through and through, Josh Warrington. You know, you see it in his fighting style, but I think you see it in his in his genuine drive and ambition. I think even if he does lose again, he's going to say, do you know what? Okay, fair enough. I can't beat this guy, but I don't think that's going to be enough to, uh, to send him out of the game. I think, you know, he's going to need like very a few very convincing losses uh, and someone to grab his shoulder and say, look, now's your time. And I think even if he does lose in this rematch, I still don't think it's his time. I think he'll have a lot to give in this sport because he's such an entertaining fighter. I'll still want to see him around for um, for a load more years, as many years as he wants to give uh, because I, I just, I love him, you know, toe to toe, just banging out any opponent that, that goes, that stands up next to him. So he's, he's a great fighter to watch. Um, and even if he doesn't cut it at the, the top level anymore uh, after this fight, depending on how it goes, then I'll, I'll still love to watch him fight. Yeah, he's an absolute legend. He'll be on the zone on the 4th of September. The same night, Katie Taylor in Leeds as well. The same card fights Jennifer Han. Taylor defends her WBC, WBA, IBF and WBO belts. And there's arguably no better pound for pound female boxer in the world than Katie Taylor. Jennifer Han's record is, is quite average. On the other hand, three losses and a draw from 22 fights. I mean, you'd expect this to be quite comfortable for Taylor. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a mandatory uh, fight, isn't it, for Taylor? I, I can't lie. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know who this this uh, mandatory challenger was uh, until this fight got announced. And yeah, as you said, Katie Taylor, pound for pound, one of the pound for pound best. Um, you know, it's either her or Clarissa Shields in there at the top there, but you know, there's just better fights out there for her. And after she fought um, Pursun and, you know, she come off the fight with Jonas and what a fight that was. She's got so many options there, like a rematch with Jonas. Nobody's n- nobody's going to say no to that after the first one was, was as fantastic as it was. But, you know, Eddie Hearn, I remember, I can't remember what fight. I think it might have been the Pursun rematch or another one. No, I think it was the one in November with the... Uh, women's triple header card did she fight she I think she fought uh, uh, Gutierrez or, or somebody yeah but Eddie Hearn was you know obviously giving it doing what he does best giving it the big and uh, about his fighters but he said you know there's options at loads of different weights for Katie to fight at so you know big big names uh, at, at different weights but I haven't seen that from her yet apart from this Jonas one so and now she's got the mandatory and it's kind of like well is there then because there's there is big names out there for her, but she hasn't taken them yet. Um, given given the opposition that she's fighting in September, so hopefully I do see that in the future for her. But yeah, I'd fully expect a walkover uh, once more from her. Well, frustration in boxing, in British boxing or Irish boxing, if you like, it's quite a common theme at the moment. And Tyson Fury has tested positive for coronavirus, which just throws everything into doubt and into question because. 
it's the big question on everyone's lips. It means that Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury gets pushed back even further. Will it even happen? I mean, who knows? For me, I just, I'm a bit fed up with it all now, to be honest, Max. Um, Fury, Deontay Wilder, the trilogy has been postponed. It was meant to take place on the 24th of July. It's now been rescheduled to the 9th of October. But pushing back AJ Fury for me, it, there's always something. It always seems like there's something. And by the time they fight, I just I just hope they're still in that element, in that peak element of theirs. Yeah, and with the way it's going, to be fair, you know, it's, it's not really these... The, the it's way not Fury's fault. Yeah, exactly. The manager, the manner in which they've been postponed, it's not like you can point at either guy and say, it's your fault for, for it not happening yet. It's your fault. For, you, you just can't do it. It's just... It's one of those that has just escaped us and has escaped the fighters as well. I think, um, you know, they do want the fight. We've seen that when it was confirmed. So it's probably as frustrating for them as it is uh, for us. So, yeah, it's, I, I can't lie. I wasn't really looking forward to the, well, the three fight anyway. Of course, I was going to watch it. You know, it would have been, I'm sure it would have been a great fight. It is every time Tyson Fury steps in the ring. But everybody knows that we, what we really want, what we truly want is the, uh, Fury Joshua won and as you said I don't know how many years this is going to go on for it might be we might have a Mayweather Pacquiao situation on our hands once again me being That's the biggest yeah me being the biggest Mayweather fan ever I wasn't really bothered at what age they fought I just wanted to see them fight but I'd, I'm not uh, as as a bigger fan of two of the other two so I would love to see them in their primes um, because the main thing that does is whoever wins then their, their other fan, the fan base of the other fighter gets a bit of an excuse and can say they're out of their uh, the prime and everything like that. So it just leads to a whole bag of excuses that you wouldn't get if they didn't fight in their prime. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. But at the end of the day, you just have to you have to take it when it comes. Uh, and God knows when that will be right now. No, I, I hope it comes sooner than later, but I fear you are right with... Uh, the Pacquiao Mayweather example, and that is actually that—that's my worst fear. And I, I just so hope we we see this fight as soon as possible. Um, hypothetically, obviously now the fight's been rescheduled between Wilder and Fury, but Eddie Hearn in the last few days was pushing Dillian White uh, to to step in in Fury's place and take the fight against uh, Deontay Wilder. White obviously knocked out Povetkin in March and holds the WBC interim belt. How do you think that would have gone down if? if it had gone that way and White would have stepped in in Fury's place? Well, we were saying off air, weren't we, that, well, I said at least that it's a high risk uh, and low reward for Wilder. You know, this fight with Fury, he gets a, a chance, he gets a shot back at his uh, WBC title against White. In my opinion, it's not more likely that he's going to lose against White, but it's still, I think, very high uh, that he would lose against White, but he wouldn't get, like... If, if he won, he wouldn't get anything. Just the kind of same position in the rankings that he's got right now. And he would rather... Well, I mean, if I was Wilder, I'd rather not have to take a risky fight and uh, fight for a title later on instead of taking a risky fight and then fighting for the title. But I'll tell you who does that and who doesn't care if he gets a title or not but does take the risky sure. fights is Dillian White. Yeah. That is That is what he's best at. And that's you know, what threw his whole career into question when he uh, lost against Povetkin. He, he didn't really need to take that fight. Let's not forget that. So he is, he is, the, can, he is the true can man and he, he'll take anything on, even Wilder. But 
in Wilder's position, I think rightfully so. He doesn't want it, but I can't really blame him. No, I can't blame Wilder. The whole reason he, he pushed for that arbitration and has got the trilogy fight is because he doesn't care about the money. He wants his name out there and he wants to, to win belts. He could have easily taken uh, the money and stepped down and let, yeah, he could have let Fury and AJ crack, crack on, but he didn't. He, he wants that attention. He wants the limelight and he's a proper boxer. Well, you know, he, he wants the belts um, and he's hungry for it. And actually, I think he quite likes being the underdog Wilder going in against Fury with, with the belt now. I think, he would play that to his advantage. So if White had stepped in, I don't think he would be. The, obviously, he wouldn't be the underdog anymore. White, I'd assume, would be. So, yeah, I, I don't think that would have ever happened anyway. But it's an interesting one, hypothetically. And that's about it from us this week. England didn't win the Euros final, but we got there. It's an amazing achievement. Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury shock uh, has been pushed back. And, uh, yeah, loads of pre-seasons to get your teeth into as well with both Chelsea, Liverpool and Pretty much every team in in the whole of Europe right now is playing preseason friendly. So plenty of football, loads of sport. I was going to say, uh, mentioning preseason can also uh, bring up Arsenal's embarrassing defeat to uh, Hibs. That's 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 always great. Love, love a bit of a preseason preseason banter and uh, Arsenal doing their classic classic behaviour and uh, dishing it out to us for free. <laughs> Arteta out has already been trending. And it's they, not even the start of the season. And it's not even the start of the season. Uh, you know what? Sorry, Arsenal fans. It's I, just... I love it. Uh, one of my favourite pastimes is either really winding up Arsenal fans or really winding up Tottenham fans. And actually, they're kind of on par for me. Um, I mean, Tottenham fans, it's a bit easy during the Euros. when If Kane had a, a bit of a rubbish 15 minutes, it would it, it was just hysterical to, to push some buttons on Harry Kane to a Tottenham fan. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the English fans that watch the Euros and uh, support clubs like Spurs or Arsenal because they get disappointment normally throughout the year. This is the one bit of disappointment they could have gone without, but uh, it, England couldn't bring it home and, and had to break their hearts as, as well. It's OK. <laughs> they're, they're used to it. They're, they're, they know they know how to handle disappointment by now. Anyway, uh, listen, if you're an Arsenal or Spurs fan, then please listen again. Uh, really sorry. For, for taking the mickey but that's it from us the middlemen will be back hopefully with a big guest uh, in the coming weeks but thanks for listening guys listen back to past episodes as always with the likes of Fraser Clark who's out in Tokyo right now uh, Galau Yafai who's also out, out in Tokyo preparing for the Olympics Katie Healy uh, Niall Hickman some big guests so go back and listen to those episodes as well and thanks for listening today yeah thanks for tuning in guys as Noah said loads of sports and we have a few uh, a few more big names in the pipeline so stick around for them they will be coming up great interviews on the way so stick with us and we'll see you soon